What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Weiss Sports Chronicles podcast. And on Sunday, we have a special guest. She is Rehef Issa, one of the leading voices of Toronto Maple Leafs Twitter and a rising star in hockey analytics and statistics. Rehef and I have a wide-ranging conversation about how she got into loving analytics and statistics in hockey, her approach to using social media to post some of her findings that she's discovered through her education and knowledge of hockey analytics and statistics, how the game has taken so long to embrace uh, new underlying figures to evaluate players and teams, and then we dive into supporting women in sports and, and the importance of giving women a platform in this space of hockey statistics and analytics to communicate their findings and to use their voice to share some important perspectives. So a really fantastic conversation with Rahef on this We Sports Chronicles podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. The We Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to today's episode with Rahef Issa on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, if you have been involved with Leafs Twitter, if you know about the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm sure you've seen Rahef Issa. She's one of the, the real compelling, passionate voices on Leafs Twitter, but she's also one of the brightest young minds when it comes to hockey analytics. So I'm pleased to have Rahef join me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Rahef, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. What an introduction. Thanks so much for having me, Lucas. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, you know, it's all true. It's, it's uh, you know, certainly well-deserved. And and we'll get into sort of your, your analytics background in a bit, but Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, had, you know, a roller coaster of a season, as we all know. But Kyle Dubas, general manager of the Leafs, said, we're going to make some changes. And they did make changes. I'm just curious, from, from your perspective, your thoughts as this team is about to embark on next season, what, what it looks like. Because from my perspective, I sort of like the changes that they've made, personally. I agree. I think that, well, there may have been a little bit of quest- questionable changes. Pointing <laughs> uh, point specifically towards Zach Bogosian. Yeah. Happening. But I really do agree with the um, Joe Thornton signing. That was incredible. That's going to be a really fun signing, whether he plays... Uh, third center or fourth line center will be really interesting. And I think the Wayne Simmons signing was also a good pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a good goal scorer. He plays the second unit power play. It'll be very interesting. So I think that the changes sort of signal maybe a little bit of a shift in Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan's, you know, mind and possibly ideology when it comes to how to build a winning team. So I think that shift is the most interesting and it'll be exciting to see, you know, what he does at the deadline now that there's, you know, some cap space, no LPIR. So that'll mm-hmm. be interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the key going into the offseason, I mean, I know there were a lot of questions about the team's ability to perform, whether this team has sandpaper, grit, all, the, all, all those, uh, you know, overused terms. But I think... 
I think they've done a good job with that. And, and you mentioned the Wayne Simmons signing, the, the Joe Thornton signing, bringing that real veteran experience in the locker room to complement the, the, the young stars on the team. But but also T.J. Brody. I mean, look, T.J. Brody, you know, huge, huge upgrade over over Cody Cece, am I right? Like, I think, you know, the amount of sleepless nights I had, <laughs> Cody Cece making turnovers, it'll, it'll certainly, uh, you know, improve that defense unquestionably and he's even an upgrade for me at least in Tyson Berry as well so <laughs> I think that it, it was an excellent move to bring TJ Brody and I think he's low risk and yeah. he's sort of exactly what the Leafs need you know he's good at the thing the Leafs are not spectacularly good at which is defense so it'll be good to have you know a player sort of similar to Jake Muzzin yeah you can never have enough Jake Muzzins in my opinion so I think that that was a great pickup by Cal Dubas you know he, everybody was talking about how he needs to do something to improve the defense and it really is hard, especially in free agency, to find, you know, that perfect defenseman. But I think TJ Brody was about as, like, as good as he could have gotten. Excellent pickup. Yeah, and, like, I mean, obviously, like, the top person would have been Alex Petrangelo. But, you know, just in terms of the money situation, I mean, the Leafs just probably couldn't afford to make, to, to make that sort of a decision. But I think, you know, getting a guy like Brody will certainly enhance that blue line. But... Look, Raph, I mean, there isn't really a lot of, you know, right now it's still TBD in terms of what next season will look like and whatnot. But the rumor of an all-Canadian division, that to me is so compelling. Because obviously we got Leafs Habs and Leafs Senators. But to see Austin Matthews going up against Elias Pettersson, like, inject that into my veins. Because that's just going to be awesome. Especially that Vancouver Canucks team. Those would be fun, fun matchups. Even Edmonton, I think, you know, the McDavid Dreisaitl versus, you know, Marner, Tavares, Matthews. I think it's it'll be really, really fun. And also those fan bases. I mean, the Leafs, you know, Leaf fans and Edmonton fans and Canucks fans, vice versa, but they all hate each other. Yeah. So I think it'll be really fun. Make for, make for some excellent storylines. No kidding, and also uh, great nights on Twitter when uh, those uh, two teams uh, go at it. But... Ref, what, what would you say, like, for, you know, when you look at the Leafs heading into this season, I feel like this is sort of like a big inflection point year for the team. Like, you know, they haven't gotten past the first round. This is sort of the make or break year for Kyle Dubas and whatnot. What, what would you say are some of the, the biggest questions going into this year about this team and whether they can perform ahead of expectations? I think a big question for me is how Freddie performs yeah. and how the goaltending holds up because I know that was a huge uh, huge issue and a storyline last season. Probably one of you know, one of the main reasons why maybe the regular season did not go as planned. You know, the goaltending was just not there throughout the majority of the season, especially after, you know, November and late December. So I feel like that will be a huge um, something I'm really trying to pay attention to to see how not only how Freddie does, but, you know, how many games is he going to play? Will he mm -hmm. split games with Jack Campbell now that there's a better backup instead of um, Michael Hutchinson, who the Leafs actually reacquired? <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so th that's, I think, something I'll be paying attention to closely because I think a lot of their um, – a lot of the narratives that we talked – or that we talked about last season, I think when you dive into the numbers, they can be explained, you know, pretty clearly in terms of, you know, how bad the goaltending was for a major portion of the season. So I think that'll be, yeah, something I'll be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's so 2020 when, when Michael Hutchison is playing elimination playoff games after he just continued to break the hearts of, of Leafs fans uh, across Canada because, boy, that was uh, 
hard to watch at times, but it, it's really interesting to, to see that he'll be sort of competing with the with the Marlies. But but yeah, I mean, and and look, I mean, Austin Matthews to me got robbed of that 50 goal season. He was on pace to get that, so I think he's you know going to continue that upward trend. But I'm really interested in looking at how Mitch Marner responds because I mean, I you know love Mitch watching him on the ice. His skating ability is is off the charts, but. I feel like, you know, the whole contract discussion maybe got him, you know, you know, in a bit of a, you know, just out of sorts. And while he did play, you know, have a good season, I feel like Leafs fans are just waiting for him to say, okay, like he's got to be worth that $10 million a year. Yeah, here's the thing with that, though. I think that we can all agree that, you know, he might have gotten just a tad bit overpaid. Mm-hmm. I think what that's done is that it sets a bar maybe a little bit too high for Mitch Marner. And like mm-hmm. you said, he's an amazing, incredible player. Like, I would not want him on any other team, yeah. you know, except the Leafs. But I think paying him that 10.9, I think it was, million dollars a year, it, it kind of does set the bar quite high for him. Now, I think he did have a good season last, week, last year, but I do, do think that he can be better. I don't know if he will be $11 million better, <laughs> but I do think that he, he can provide even more than what he did last last season. So that'll, that'll be interesting, and I wonder who Sheldon Keith will play him beside, whether that'll be Tavares or Matthews. I mean, the fact that we're even having that conversation is pretty cool because, yeah. you know, he plays excellently with either either center, but, yeah, I think that'll be also pretty interesting. Raf, I mean, I, I you know, I remember the days of like Bates Battaglia, Kyle Wellwood, Aki Berg. So like when you when you mention those names, like that 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 just brings music to my ears because there were some uh, there were some painful leaf years. Yeah, I remember. I I think um um somebody posted the other day uh, William Nylander's first game, and they posted the roster. Um, I think this would have been the tank year, so yeah. 2015, and that. I want to pivot to, to talk about your, you know, your background and passion with, with hockey analytics, because anyone that follows, you know, your, your, your Twitter account knows that, you know, you have a real deep, you know, and growing knowledge in, in, in this, in this category. And I'm just curious, Raph, like, like what got you into sort of wanting to pursue and learn more about data and, and, and analytics when it comes to hockey? Well, I think actually it was, a, it may have been like a mixing of two worlds for me because I'm, it definitely came from school as mm-hmm. I started to learn more about statistics, modeling, things like that. I, that caught my attention um, pretty clearly in school. Um, and then the other thing was I've always had a passion for hockey. Mm-hmm. So then when I, you know, started to get involved in hockey Twitter and I saw that there was this whole world of like two things that I love, hockey and statistics, I was like, this is, <laughs> this is like the perfect thing for me, my calling card, I guess you could say. So that was kind of how it started for me. And then my school offers some pretty cool pro, uh, courses and programs. There, there's a course where it was literally just for analytics. So I got to even like delve more in to see if I would love it more than I already thought that I did. And I did. And so it's kind of just kept me pushing in that direction at this point. And that's kind of where it all started for me. So a U of T Rotman student not taking consulting or accounting, like what, or finance. What, uh, what world is this, Raph? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but in all seriousness, like, 
I mean, obviously, analytics has been a topic in sports now for, for quite some time. You know, anyone that's watched Moneyball knows, you know, it's been very popular in baseball. Now starting to gain a lot more steam in hockey. Where would you recommend someone starting? Like, you know, like, like what if you just, like, said, okay, like, Lucas, I want you to get started on, like, Lurie Analytics. Like, how does, how does that just happen? Because I'm sure it must take a lot of, you know, reading, repetition, and just constantly just digging deep into the numbers to really understand what this is all about. Actually, that's a great question. Because one of the most amazing things about um, hockey analytics and the entire community is that it's extremely, in my opinion, accessible. Yeah. Um, for me, at least, it, part of the reason why I got extremely interested or involved is because there was already this huge community on Twitter. And there's there's so many amazing people who do a lot of work and it's all public. Mm. And so it really gives you an opportunity to um, learn on your own in a way that's fun. Like while the games are happening, you know, you can check and follow all of these different websites, different um, people who are posting all of their work to the public. But that's like another way that I really, um, I really got very interested just because everything is public. Another really cool thing is that Hockey still has, like you said, quite a way to quite a ways to go with relation to say baseball or even basketball and soccer. And so that's a really exciting thing. There's a lot of opportunity and a lot of work that, you know, still needs to be done, a lot of research that can still happen. And so hockey, you know, the sport analytics community in hockey is still growing. And I think that's really, really fascinating. But I would honestly point to joining the hockey analytics community on Twitter. I think it's an excellent place. And I know that there there's sometimes like a reputation for a lot of the people who are involved in the community sometimes be a little condescending or, mm. or, or snotty, and I understand where that comes <laughs> from sometimes. <laughs> but I think when you get involved, there really there's a lot of really great people, and it's an amazing opportunity to learn so much. So I would point honestly to joining uh, the Hockey Analytics Twitter. Great answer. I, I'm going to unpack a couple things from that because because there's a lot of really yeah. great stuff in there. So you mentioned how a lot of this is public so then how do you then stand out because there's a lot of this information how do you sort of you know make it so that you sort of are, are different than the rest of of the people that are already established in that community well i think like i said there's so many avenues for mm. questions in hockey that we still don't have the answers to with regards to analytics i mean actually just a few days ago drag like full Someone who's involved in the, in the hockey analytics in analytics Twitter released a super interesting um, research like topic discussion point where he was sort of rehashing things that maybe we had already discussed a few years ago, mm. but you know bringing it back to light. The conversation was about um, sorry, to, <laughs> I'm gonna get into some analytics here. No, it's all good. It's Please. The, the the predictiveness mm -hmm. of expected goals versus Corsi. Um, Corsi was sort of what started. Yeah. Um, you know the analytics explosion hockey i would say um which is basically for any of your listeners who aren't aware of what course is it's essentially just shot attempts yeah so it's a measure for shot attempts um and then there's a new metric that's been i wouldn't say very recent but pretty recent and expected goals now a lot of people have started to use expected goals as a way to predict um future team performance and drag like pull had a really great article about how maybe actually the thing we were doing in the in the first place course might be more predictive than expected goals. 
So I think there's a lot of work and a lot of things that can be done. And maybe it's not so much about standing out per se, maybe just asking some questions that even if they have been asked before, but maybe presenting that information in a new way or a new light, I think is really good. Just digging a little deeper with, with the whole Corsi and then expected goals, maybe just walk through for my listeners how Corsi then evolved into expected goals and sort of then where you could maybe see expected goals maybe potentially evolving into, or do you think that's sort of the peak understanding right now of that particular uh, evalu- evaluative metric? So I think that the way that expected goals sort of came about is a lot of people started asking, okay, so we have this Corsi thing, it measures shot attempts, but naturally the next thing you do is you ask questions. So, you know, what about shot location? What about shot angle? What about the type of shot? And so expected goals is a model that incorporates all of those different factors into one measure. And so it allows you to consider all of those things, like what would be the predictability of a shot taken from the slot? Like, how, do we think that's going to result in a goal more than, say, a shot from the point? Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what expected goals measures, because we have an idea that not all shots are equal, obviously, in hockey. And so it attempts to sort of control for all of those different things. That's sort of how um, expected goals evolved from Corsi. But it's been really interesting to go back to, like, the root of that discussion and sort of ask, you know, what is the better metric for predicting future goals and future wins? So I think that's sort of an interesting conversation that's happening right now. No, and, and, like, it's really interesting because you mentioned how, in that answer, it's a lot about just asking questions. And that's what people in sports media do all the time. I mean, we ask questions of players, coaches, and whatnot for stories, but... The whole concept of analytics is just asking questions and, and, and using that as a tool to, to inform decision making on player evaluation, matchups. And I think that there's a lot more, you know, there, there's a lot of great voices right now in hockey, Twitter, hockey media that, that are really doing a good job balancing the two because I think it can be a lot of numbers, it can be a lot of stuff. But if you could provide context to what those numbers and metrics mean, it can then lead to a really thoughtful uh, discussion. Exactly right. And that's sort of like the analysis side. You know, mm-hmm. it's not everything necessarily is about building the models themselves, right? Sometimes it really just takes, you know, you can get five different people looking at the same thing and, you know, all five of them will give you a different analysis or a different picture of what they're looking at. And I think that's a really important thing. Like you said, it's just about asking questions. So are you interested, Rahef, more in the modeling or are you more interested in the analysis or are you just you know, kind of doing a bit of both? I'm sort of feeling it out right okay. now. Okay. I think that I'm more interested in the, in the analysis part than maybe I would be in the data modeling. I, I'm going to be honest. My coding is not necessarily <laughs> up to data modeling levels, although I think if I worked hard, I could probably bring it up to that. But right now I'm sort of at the analysis level. But it is sort of what I enjoy more, you know, because I also love the sport, not just the modeling aspect. It gives you like an opportunity to talk about things that, you know, analysis, you know, giving context to situations and stuff like that. So I, I enjoy doing that as well. No, and I, and I think that's what I think separates people like yourself and, and others in sort of the hockey analytics community is like, look, you're, you're, you're watching a game in a very different way. And like, I think you can sort of see, you know, 
and look, there's different people that have different, you know, ways to approach it. Like, some people are more, like, just the play-by-play. -play. Like, here's, you know, Nylander scores, Matthew scores, saved by Anderson, things like that. But I think it's, like, combine that with then, like, looking at the hockey analytics as you're watching. It's, like, a, an explosion of knowledge that, that, is just so, that is just so cool to just follow... Twitter it's why I I have tweet deck during during hockey season because I just need to like see all what's going on with the the different Twitter accounts to see all the the knowledge that's being presented yeah I think there are a lot of when it comes to watching the game there's a lot of different questions that we can ask you know um to understand and help how analytics can help us understand what's happening in the game because it sort of it tells you it tells you how something happens mm -hmm. in a way sort of you know, not necessarily, you know, when you see a player score a goal, it's sort of like, how did that happen? And so analytics can help build that picture in addition to, you know, your eyes, right? Because we know there's always this argument about, you know, leaning too hard in one direction. I think it's sort of a silly discussion because obviously you, you're going to use both. You supplement yeah. what you see with your eyes with the numbers because together it all just gives you more detail of what's happening on the ice. It paints a better picture. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, sort of my, like, it's one of my biggest pet peeves with sports right now is just, like, how, like, and, and it happened in the World Series with Kevin Cash removing Blake Snell, and it led to this, like, referendum on analytics when, like, and people, and people need to, like, sort of, if, if you calm down for a second and say, like, look, analytics isn't going away. It's here. It's here to stay. But I think the problem is it's, like, the like the, the pro eye test people are just looking for anything to like poke into the analytics and say there you go it's not working analytics sucks and then like maybe some people from analytics are like you know a like eye tests like like where are those people but like i just think we need like we need to use both and have a balance because it's uh it can lead to quite toxic uh conversations pretty quickly I agree. Yeah, I definitely think that there needs to be a balance. And I think it's interesting how, you know, people will point to one game as a show that, you know, analytics doesn't work. Of course, I'm not very familiar with, with what happened during the World Series, mm -hmm. but I do remember seeing something on my timeline about this. And I think that I would point to, say, you know, the hundred whatever plus games that they had played in the season and say, well, it looks like analytics worked or, you know, it was painting a, an accurate picture in this time frame. So I think that's the problem sort of a lot of people have is that understanding that analytics in general isn't going to be 100% accurate all of the time. I think this happens a lot with, like, predictive modeling a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I know Dom Decision posts a lot yeah. of, like, um, you know, yeah, he predicts a lot of, like, player results, team results, and sometimes people... <laughs> They get upset when what actually happens isn't what he predicted. But of course, it's just, you know, probability, right? Likelihood. And so that's why we use it as a tool. It's not necessarily the be-all, end-all at all times. But I do think that if you're not using analytics to understand what's happening in the game, then I really think that you're missing 50% of the picture. So I'm gonna use a player that that that, that, you, that is dear to your heart, William Nylander, because I think he's like the perfect <laughs> example of why like of just sort of the analytics say one thing that like you know he has the you know the great underlying numbers and even the eye test to a degree but i just think like i mean i i hear my dad every time like trade william nylander trade william nylander i'm like okay like relax it's not happening 
can you like sort of like to the listeners who may be like questioning still William Nylander, like why is he like better than maybe sometimes like the eye test shows? I think that William Nylander, like you said, very controversial player. Even yeah. though when you really look at his body of work, he should not be a controversial player. Because in my opinion, even the eye test shows William Nylander as an exceptional player. I mean, have you watched him carry the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone? He's like a neutral zone wizard. And the thing is, is all of those things are important, but I think what happens with William Nylander is a lot of people want him to be something that he's not, and they want him to be, you know, the big power forward that will, you know, hit you and knock you on your butt and then steal the puck, and he's not like that, as we all know. But he is effective. You know, even last year when he scored 30 goals, you know, the majority of those goals were from in front of the net. He has a knack for making space for himself. And I think that just because he plays a different style, like I said, he's more smooth. Everything he does looks effortless. So you don't necessarily notice him trying very hard because it seems like it's easy to him. The skating, he skates so effortlessly. He can move around guys very efficiently, especially in the neutral zone. And so I think a lot of people are sort of watching him expecting one thing and then from like preconceived biases and you know all sorts of things I'm not going to get into right now Yeah. but I think that you know people have a picture of what they want him to be and so when he doesn't skate like that or you know hit somebody like that or he avoids a, a block a shot or something like that it sort of just reinforces people's um, biases that they already have but I think one of the one of the great things about analytics is that during his season when the results were not there, that shortened season when he um, when he didn't have a contract and then he came back, and he had missed a lot of time and the results were not there for him. Especially towards the last few months of the season, his analytics were like very, very good. And you could see that he was doing all the right things. It was just an incredible case of horrible, horrible luck. And so I think that that's what analytics helped, you know, help cement William Nylander that he was not, you know, all of a sudden a changed player just because he wasn't scoring goals or racking up as many points or assists because you could see that the process was there. All He was doing all the right things. And so then he came back next season and, you know, we saw what we saw, 30 goals. He had a great and incredible season. So, yeah, I think that William Nylander is definitely a case study for analytics. Hmm. He's actually similar to another player. I was comparing to Nick, Nick Ehlers. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in Winnipeg have very similar conversations comparing Nick Ehlers, maybe to Kyle Connor, even Patrick Laine. But, yeah, I think they're both similar players, and they they receive the same vitriol from certain segments, segments of the fan base. Tune into uh, the after hours of the Wii Sports Chronicles here. Uh, we're half talk about the biases against uh, William Nylander. But, uh, but uh, in... Uh, in all seriousness, you know, you, you know, you mentioned how I mean analytics. It's just a tool, and, and some of the, you know, maybe the drawbacks of, of of the predictive model, and it's very accurate. But where would you say right now? And you mentioned it a bit earlier, like in terms of the questions right now that are being really talked about in, in the hockey analytics community. And do you think, like, and how quickly do you think we'll sort of see maybe an answer to this? Because I guess it, you know, really depends. You know, you need the data to support it. But, you know, what are some of the questions right now being talked about? I think that there, I think that the analytics community 
is going to explode very soon with mm. the introduction of uh, player puck tracking. Very so cool. I think there's going to be so much opportunity to learn and understand, you know, what we see on the ice and to answer some of those questions that we maybe don't have, like you said, the data to answer right now. Um, so I think that, you know, introducing uh, player and puck tracking is going to be huge. And like you said, something that the NHL maybe lacks compared to other um, sports like baseball and, and basketball is you know, this lack of data, that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to answer a lot of questions sort of based on the fact that there is no player impact tracking. So with that coming in, I think there's, you know, teams, you're going to see teams expanding their um, their research departments. They're going to have to. There's going to be such an influx of data. Without, you know, a, a bigger team, it's going to be impossible to sort through all of it. So I think that it's going to be really exciting. There's going to be a lot of new work being done very soon, as soon as we get that hopefully very soon you know uh, that keeps pushing it back and back and you know with covid it's yeah a whole other story but as soon as we get that i think there's going to be lots of lots of cool things happening you mentioned earlier about you know joining the, the hockey analytics community, you know community on twitter to really get an insight and, and to build that brand if that's what you're interested in when did you sort of you know quote unquote take off just in terms of like get, get more people looking at your work because look i mean Anyone that starts a Twitter account, like, it's very rare for that first tweet to get to go viral. Like, you need to sort of demonstrate, you know, that, you, that you're willing to put time into investing to building that brand. So, like, what was there a particular tweet? Was it like a, a heat chart? Like, what was it for you, Rahaf, that, like, got you on the analytics map? I don't really know if there was any one thing, to be honest. I think that I was just super involved in the community. I was right. counting a lot of people nice. <laughs> that were there. And, yeah, and I think it just sort of happened. I think I was maybe one of the people who was sort of um, championing William Nylander during that period mm. when he wasn't really necessarily putting up the results. And so I think that um, that sort of lent itself more to, you know, a certain segment of people in, in hockey Twitter. So I think that was maybe the beginning of it for me. Um, yeah, I can't really pinpoint like one thing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I you know, I say this all the time because I mean, many of my listeners are you know young sports journalists, you know, getting into the industry, and and it, and it takes time, right? Like, and it's very rare for uh, you know, unless you do have a viral tweet, like it's it, it it does take time, and it sort of takes a real investment. I know for me, like back in my university days, like I had like 200 followers cause I didn't really put a lot of time in. And then like, once you put more time in people then will start to notice you. And it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. And I, and I think what's difficult about social media following and branding is like, there, there's no real silver bullet, right? Like every, everyone is different, but I think if you, if you put in the time and you really show what you know, right? Like I think, you know, you don't want to, you know, I, I think that's also really important as well to sort of gain credibility and, and authority in that space. And I think a really important thing is you can't be afraid to sort of mess up or yeah. like say the wrong thing or, you know, say something that might be wrong because I think that's a great way to learn. And I definitely did that a, a lot of times mm -hmm. where people would correct me or, you know, give me different ideas or different like things to think about. And so I think the scariest part is sort of putting, putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, getting or allowing yourself to maybe be wrong is mm -hmm. sort of like a big thing. No, I mean, like that's that you know that that's such a great point, and and you know, I know that for you, you know, you're you know, in addition to 
hockey analytics. I mean, you're you're one of the you know my favorite followers on Twitter to just really support women in sports, and I think like this year especially has been very important to really remind that because I think you know you know having those voices are, are, are so important and especially in hockey analytics where you know definitely you know male you know male dominated space so I'm just I'm just curious for you how, how you sort of see your role and, and I know you're just starting out but you've seen your role as sort of a, a mentor to people you know in the you know to women in, in the hockey analytics space would be crazy to any anybody to, to to look up to me that's that's incredible but i think that's a that's a good point um i sort of feel like hockey's having maybe like a reckoning right now yeah in terms of you know diversity and and sort of all all aspects mm-hmm. whether that be um gender whether that be race uh sexuality religion all sorts of things and so i think people are asking a lot of questions about you know how we can make not just the analytics community but you know hockey in the broader sense a more inclusive environment for for people especially like you said women where you know there definitely are not enough women in mm-hmm. <laughs> in hockey and in hockey analytics for sure and so i think that a lot of people right now are starting to ask the right questions and starting to figure out you know how can we get women more involved how can we you know make a pathway for women who maybe you know always wanted to be involved in sports or, you know, journalism, or all these things regarding sports, but, you know, have always looked up and seen maybe not themselves, and so they haven't mm-hmm. really thought that there would be an opportunity. And so I think that there are a lot of teams right now trying to figure out what they can do and how to make the sport a more inclusive place. There's a really good um, person on Twitter I recommend um, your listeners to follow. It would be the Black Girl Hockey Club. Yep. She's doing a lot of excellent the the founder renee she's doing a lot of incredible work in trying to make um hockey a more inclusive place for women especially women of color mm-hmm. and so i think that that's a great um a great resource for people if they want to look into that and yeah i definitely think that there's a lot of work to do but mm-hmm. i also think that's exciting mm-hmm. because that means that you know there's a there's a lot of space and a lot of room for more people to get involved no that's a great answer and I think you're absolutely right that hockey's sort of undergoing this this reckoning right now, and and I and I think social media's been, you know, it could be both sides. Like, I mean, I mean, what women in sports have to deal with on a daily basis is just you know flat out disturbing, and it's you know still happening in in 2020, sadly. But I think it's you know that that awareness is being called out more. It's being written about the fact that. There aren't enough women on radio stations in Toronto. There aren't there aren't enough women, you know, occupying analytics positions on hockey teams, things like that. And like I think, not only being a you know an inspiration to women, you also got to call out the men here as well. And I think like that's you know what I'm trying to do with my podcast, getting female voices on the show, you know, really ensuring that because we need to sort of break down those norms that have just been sort of carried on through generations and generations. And I think that will then lead to hopefully, you know, employers, teams, media companies, you know, being more open to diversity, being more open to getting women of color, people of color on on their shows and on their content. So I think that's also important as well. And and, and yeah, because, you know, it needs to happen to get more voices in the space. Yeah, it's like, how can we get to a place where, you know, when a woman makes a mistake in sports, in sports reporting, sport analytics, whatever, 
we can deem it as just a mistake. Yeah. And sort of what we see now, which is like a referendum. Yeah. On, on like the entire person's knowledge or like understanding of their work or their line of work. So I think that, you know, that's our, that should be our goal. Last question for you, Rahaf, and I and I ask this for a lot of my for a lot of my guests. Do, do you have a favorite Maple Leafs game that that, that that comes up to your mind is like, you know, great for the analytics or just great because it was just an awesome game? I mean, I'm just curious your uh, your thoughts on that. Well, I think that that's a good question. I think that last season there's definitely a few, nice. few awesome games. Obviously, the the answer that a lot of people probably would say is that the crazy Carolina game. Thomas <laughs> Marner had like the night of his life. That yeah. was insane. But I'm actually gonna say the last hockey game that I went to, and actually the last game that the Leafs played in the regular season before um, the season had to be shut down, which is their 2-1 win against. Oh. I think it was 3-1 against Tampa Bay. Mm. Um, that was a great, great game, both in analytics and just in general. It was super fun, and also I was there, so that was like a really good time for me. The last time I. <laughs> I went to a game, so that was probably my favorite Leafs game this season. Okay, I lied, like because this is now a follow-up to that last question. How weird was that yeah. experience? Because like the world, oh, sports world, shut so down weird. like a few days later. It was so so weird. I had I actually won the ticket. Oh, nice. And part of like the package, yeah, part of the package that I won was I was supposed to be able to um, go to the press conference that happens with the players after the game, mm. right? And there, I was also supposed to be able to, you know, when the players are, like, walking out in, inside of the arena still, you know how they, like, high-five people? Yeah. And I was supposed to, like, be there and be able, like, high-five them. Yeah. <laughs> but because of COVID, last second, all the rules changed. So um, we were actually not allowed to attend the press conference anymore. And we were not allowed to obviously go near the players. So that changed. Honestly, it changed last minute. So I'm not sure... It, when you think back to that period, it's kind of crazy how everything yeah. happened so quickly. It's like one day they were playing games in an arena filled with 22,000 people, and then the next, there's like no sports. It was very quick. Um, so yeah, it is crazy how so much has changed since then. <laughs> No, no, no kidding. Well, while, while we're have fingers crossed that you know when you know it's safe to do so and fans can come back in Scotiabank Arena, that, that, that you'll have that opportunity to you know you know fist bump uh, one of your favorites, uh, maybe William Nylander for 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 all the for all the followers there. But listen, Rahefisa is one of the you know real bright young minds of, of hockey analytics. Please follow her on Twitter and support her work. She does amazing stuff. Raf, thank you so much for, for joining me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.